Hello and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Time in Some Guy's Parents' House. We're back in Some Guy's Parents' House. They keep letting us back in and we're here to talk to you about another film. I'm Mike, your presenter as usual, and as usual I have my co-presenters Rob and Jules. Gentlemen, how are you? I didn't realise rehearsal would take so long. (laughs) Those musical numbers really, they really pushed it, but I think we've got a good show ahead of us. And Rob put his back out, but we're sitting down now and we should be okay. Uh, We are here today to talk about... Uh, Alita Battle Angel, uh, which is a James Cameron, Robert Rodriguez collaboration, uh, adapting a manga by Yakito Koshuro. Uh, it stars Rosa Salazar as a cyborg girl who is given a new body by Christoph Waltz, who finds her in the garbage tip, uh, puts her back together, and then she is uh, exploring this fabulous world, Iron Town, uh, and gets into all kinds of mishaps. Uh, guys, Alita Battle Angel. What's her name? Ro- Rosa, Sal- Rosa Salazar. Salazar. Ramon Salazar. <laughs> How similar does Rosa Salazar look to the CGI Alita? Well, it's character. on the eyes, I well, think. If I, yeah, if I, if I had to similar. guess, her eyes are not the size of teacups. <laughs> just, just a bit of random boring trivia. Uh, I was going to say that they, that's it's, my it's section. eleven cameras. That's my section. That track fifty-three dot markers on the actor, and that's done by the Weta Digital team. If you remember the Lord of the Rings documentaries, I sure don't. <laughs> Well, they were very long. They were kind of uh, fledgling effects at the time, but Circus was originally just going to be a voice for Gollum. And then he became more and more of a presence, kind of on set rehearsing with the guys, rest of the hobbits. Then he'd have to leave. Then they'd have to fight without him. And then he'd have to go into a studio and sort of fight again on his own solo. Um, but it seems like Rosa Salazar was simply free to come on set and act. So, yeah, I've seen her. She's so, basically, she's got this whole like setup in front of her exactly. face the whole time when she's on set. Uh, which is capturing all of her facial expressions and then they're... So she doesn't have to do it over and over again, presumably. They're doing... It's the same as if she was acting normally. Uh, clearly, they have gone to town and put a lot of money into this uh, and made a really good-looking film, I think. $200 million, I believe. Crikey. By far, Rob Struger's is most expensive film. Right. I think most of his films are made on a... Well, actually, a shoestring. I mean, he just ties them together, <laughs> whips his actors into straight with it. Because Mexico, you can you can get away with a shoestring. Um, I recently watched the OVA, which sports the voice acting uh, abilities of Spike Spencer. Oh, oh really? yes, Mr. Shinji Ikari. Nice. Um, and the uh, Christoph Waltz character kind of looks like Egon from the Real Ghostbusters. <laughs> but it's very gory as well. It's com- you know, it's yeah. the PG thirteen film. But anyway, um, apart from the cybernetic enhancements, which kind of covers up. She's kind of indistinguishable to a human girl. What I noticed was there's a combination of her being kind of cutesy and then having her bloodlust, uh, which is you know interesting. And the Scrap Iron City looks more barren and grotty, and it seems like a, a place you definitely want to escape. In this film, I, I did sometimes wonder, well, it doesn't seem that bad here, you know. Yeah, where's the premiere in? Give me three weeks. <laughs> I had, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen similar criticisms, um, people saying, oh, you know, in the OVA, you know, it's much more of an apocalyptic landscape. And it's, as you say, like, you can understand Hugo's desire to escape from Iron Town, whereas Iron Town actually looks like quite a fun place to hang out, really, like in the film. But at the end of the day, I don't know, I, I quite enjoyed being in Iron Town. That's where we are all the whole film. Mm. And had it been this sort of really grim, had it been basically, you know, the shelter in Terminator where, sure. uh, which gets infiltrated, you know, with kids watching burned out television screens, like... I don't know, I was not sure I'd have wanted to spend two hours there in the same way. A leader. You have to be responsible. You are someone very special. Hey, kid. Not just a teenage girl. 
personally, I thought Christoph Waltz was quite out of place in this film. I didn't. Mm. He he seemed always. He was the one who just stuck out like a sore thumb for me. But I'll be interested to hear what what did you guys uh, would think? You, would you say that he sticks out more of a sore thumb than the guy who plays Hugo? He looked like every schoolgirl from the nineties, like crush. <laughs> With right. his, like with like the fringe and the, the sure. leather jacket and yeah. the motorbike, I was like, "Wow!" I, I'm just expecting him to like climb through Clarissa's window at any moment. Yeah, like talk about their day together. I just thought, "Wow, this she is this climbed, is such a throwback." She climbs through his window and they discuss uh, their day together. That's yes. true. <laughs> and then she literally gives her, him her heart. Oh, that's, that's right. a 300 year old antimatter micro reactor that powers that heart. I, I was just going to say, because that Wrong. just reminds Wrong. me of the screening, and the screening, every time the words Panzerkunst fighting technique <laughs> Yeah, that was a good Jules one. physically cringed. I, yeah. I think the operative yeah. word is fun, and Rodriguez knows how to make a fun film. Sure. When there's a fight scene, bar brawls, you know, he can do bar brawls so well, and he gets the deaths right. We want to see specific deaths, like someone falling off a bridge, or someone gets into a metal compactor, and we see that. Yeah. I had this sentence in my notes which describes the scene. Underground Doc Ock metal tentacle fight with bullet time. Yeah. So that happens. Watching this film, it was a very weird experience. Something started bothering me, and I couldn't quite figure out what it was. It was, just, it was sort of gnawing in my head. It was like a little, little brain worm. And uh, uh-huh. like, toxoplasmic brain worm. And I was like, what is this, what is this thing that's bothering me? And the film ended, it's like, oh, man, it was right. what the fuck is that thing? What is bothering me? <laughs> Yeah, week passed, angry walks, angry shower, what is this thing? <laughs> and then you out, vomited up the Cronenberg mind <laughs> worm. You were like, that was it! No, it was more like the uh, it was more like the puzzle box in Hellraiser. Oh my god. And I'm figuring it out, I'm trying to click all the pieces into band. I'm like, yes, the relief, I figured it out! And then, you know, oh shit, there's Hellraiser, or Pinhead. Right, so, Elita Battle Angel. She's from the past. She's woken up hundreds of years in the future, slash their present day. I think that's how that works. <laughs> By Christoph Waltz. Lots of exposition teaches her about the new world and they, they grow as family and friends and she you know befriends a dog and they uh, learn to get together and fight the big bad guy who's uh, causing the society to become a uh, well a dystopia to say the least and I realized uh, have you guys seen the film Encino Man? Recently, two high school students unearthed a prehistoric man in their own backyard. Nope. <laughs> never no. heard of it. You never heard of it. Okay. All right. Tell me if this sounds familiar. It's present day. Sean Astin is in his backyard. He's digging around. He finds Brendan Fraser. Uh-huh. Wakes him up. He's a caveman, but he, he doesn't understand about the world and how it's working. There's an adversarial relationship. They're not sure. But then they grow. They become stronger. And together, yeah, oh, he befriends a dog. And together, hold on, they, Jules, uh, this is a completely different film. This one's got Bread and Fraser in it. <laughs> is he fine or what? This guy's our ticket to fame and popularity. All we gotta do is get him enrolled in school, and he'll help us become popular. He's a worker. Wait, be careful! They uh, they band together and fight the uh, big bully who's threatening the society of 90s uh, LA high school. Ah. Uh-huh. Which where everyone judges everyone else by how they look, how they think. Um, a dystopia, if you will. Oh, yes. Look, I'm not I'm not saying James Cameron plagiarized nineties teen comedy in C No. Not just James Cameron, but I'm not, um, I'm not saying hold on, hold on. Yuki Tokushiro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. He didn't plagiarize it. Because it's based on a manga, so obviously the Japanese man whose name you just said that I don't have loads of down, he, he played, stole it. He plagiarized Encino Man. Encino nineties caveman teen comedy. Encino Man. He's dope. I'd go out with him. Go, Zongas. I am too sexy for my 
left. That is one hell of a revelation. And there I think bit, some lawyers bit, need to get on the phone. There's a bit in seeing a man where Brendan Fraser wakes up uh, as a caveman, as you do. And on the television is the Terminator. Whoa. He then, uh, a couple of scenes later, he's in a 7-Eleven doing caveman things. He leaves. He comes back in. He's wearing sunglasses in the background. Dun, 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 dun. I'll be back. Well, in chapter five of Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez, he explains that Brendan Fraser is his uh, mentor and inspiration. No, I can't keep going with this. (laughs) Do you know, that would make a lot of sense. What you said about dystopia, though. Yes, um, the 90s LA high school. I was going to say, you had the kind of classic segregation of rich and poor with this film, don't you? Like a 90s, like, yeah. Yeah, like Like any 90s 90s high school school. film. There's that as well. Sean Astin wants to be cool, but... How can he be cool when he's a nerd? But a caveman are instinctively cool. But he teaches, ironically, Sean Astin, that he doesn't need to be cool. He should be himself. So a caveman. what we're saying is Metropolis, Time Machine, Fifth Element, Blade Runner, Encino Man. Encino Man. It's in, it's, in, it's, it's, it's In fact, they should be first to Put be them honest. in a blender and Elisa Battle Angel comes out. Bingo. I enjoyed the rollerball, no, the motorball, motorball. scenes. That was I know, it. I, I'm definitely going to call it rollerball again. I enjoyed the motorball scenes quite a bit, particularly the bit when Alita had to play and she thought she was going to play just like a slightly rough game, but actually uh, they're all mercenaries who were going to kill her. And that was just that was a highly enjoyable scene of action. Is uh, it motorball or rollerball? It's called motorball. That's from another film, isn't it? Film yes, rollerball. motorball is a combination yeah. of F-Zero, Robot Wars, Quidditch, okay. rollerball, Road Rash and the Thunderdome all rolled into one. Kudos. But I've noticed that the rules are pretty poorly defined. Because at one moment the commentator says, Is that even legal? I mean, he should know, he's the commentator. <laughs> and this that's is a off- fair point. And then that's, that's after a, a high powered hookshot is fired into the back of a competitor's head, which results in complete dismemberment. I really um I really enjoyed the commentary on it actually. It actually really was like sports commentary. Mm. I really like the idea that this is actually like a Tuesday evening non competitive game and the commentators <laughs> are really surprised that it, that it ah. turns out to be of like really high quality and really intense. And they're I like, think a lot of death happens. Like, <laughs> I think it's part of the course. And, uh, and he's What's like, ah, oh, looks like this Tuesday evening, <laughs> you know, is livening up. One of the things that I did like about the film was this separation between Zolom and Irontown, and that we never see Zolom. I thought that was the correct move to make. They focus all of the time in Irontown. But I think they should have kept that separation even more complete in their depiction of the villains in the film. They they tried something and I didn't think it really worked very well, which is that Mahershala Ali is the he represents the the face of the villains in Iron Town. Like mm. he in, in many ways he controls access to Zolom and so he's the guy that everyone wants to get in with. But it gets revealed quite early that he is actually just li- quite literally at times a puppet of another shadowy figure called Nova in Zolom. And I thought that that completely undercut Mahershala Ali's character. It no longer mattered really what he, what he wanted to gain from from things like his connection with Motorball. Then doesn't really matter. I agree. It annoyed me a lot as well because he's such a good actor. Yeah, it was a way, I thought it was it, it was a waste of him his, and his talent. And it's yeah. a weird sequel bait thing as well because yeah. of the way this film ends. And it's just mm. as you, what's the analogy used was it's the. It's the second boss or something, yeah. or the, the underboss. It's, it's like we're levelling up to yeah, the... It's the, the computer game film. logic. The, the lines in this film are always so on point. At one point, Kian Johnson says, I'd sure hate to have that guy after me. And then, sure enough, an hour later, that guy's after him. Oh, the bloody right. setups um, in this film. <laughs> that was, there were so many points when Rob and I would like turn to each other when there'd be like a, a setup line, and we'd just say, Oh, well, that must mean that blah is going to happen. Wait 20 minutes. Oh, surprise twist. Blah is happening. Yeah, yeah no shit. Talking of which, Jules and I cooked up the idea of having a game of bingo uh, with all of the kind of cliches we'd expect from 
uh, a film such as Alita Battle Angel. The Alita Battle Angel Tell Bingo. Tell us more. Alita, I am intrigued. Are you referring to Alita Bingo Angel? Jules is leafing through his cat notebook. It has cats on it. You may remember the cat notebook from at Previously, least... Previously, from Tomb Raider. Episode 1. Yeah. From the people that brought you a Tomb Raider review. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure whether to read out all the things we said, or just to read out the things that we got right. It's not that many, it's a few pages, but I will read, so it's two pages, but I'll read, I'll read out the things we got right. It's a small notebook. It's a small notebook. It's a big cat, though. Okay, here's, uh, here's the first one, alright? We write down. You're more human than we'll ever be. <laughs> and the line, you're the most human person I've ever met. There we go. Does appear in the film. Here's the next slide, here's the next, did it even go? Dead daughter, rekindle relationship. Alita not happy about this. Fills the void. I think that, uh, that happened. Oh, here's, a, here's one from Rob here. Dismemberment. Yes, that got that. Main villain equal evil businessman. Not sure on that. Ed Norton. Ed Norton is an evil businessman, isn't he? And, and he's also an evil businessman in this film. Let's see what else we got. Uh, <coughs> oh, saves dog to show humanity. Brilliant. Saves the I'm, dog. I'm yeah. impressed. Uh, uh, goes too far with weaponry and is scolded. That happens in the bar, I think. Uh, oh, blatant sequel slash cinematic universe setup, anti-climax <laughs> ending because of it. I think might have got that one. Oh, so cyberpunk street gangs, uh, toxic masculinity. When the street gang is like, huh, huh, yeah, you can't do that, bro. What are you talking about, bro? I gotta, I gotta pop these cyberizations. No, bro, that's not cool, bro. Uh, Danny Trejo, who, even though he isn't in the film, is obviously in the film. We just didn't catch him. Yeah. Okay, this is in capitals, so I'm gonna have to say it right. Who am I? <laughs> Rob and I were thinking that maybe they'd take the piss out of the, the title and because uh, Robert Rodriguez likes a bit of humour, but we, we went a bit too, bit too weedony. I said, uh, irrelevant jo irreverent joke about the name Alita Battle Angel being a mouthful, a bit too much. Mm. I'm surprised they didn't make it, but then I realised James Cameron wrote the dialogue, so that's why. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I think it's, I think it's quite interesting that this film went for very sincere and not for irreverence at all. Mm. And I think in some ways it didn't work in its favour because some of the dialogue was absolute trash oh, but on the other hand i think i don't think it would have wormed into my like cold black heart quite as much as it did and by the end of the film <laughs> by the end of the film because the film had taken itself so seriously yeah. and was so sincere you know i did feel it actually tugging at my emotions and then the last of the bingo you guys are like this fictional future sport that everyone watches Whee. awesome so there we go that's that's alita battle bingo alita bingo angel you you mentioned uh yes. danny trejo not being this and uh, I, I saw somebody's face in this, which I'd like to introduce as a segment called Blink and You'll Miss It. Oh. Blink and You'll Miss It! Uh, I'm gonna... Who is it? Who was the face that you the saw face in the clouds? that I saw in this film uh, is a blast from the past, blast from the 90s past. Oh God, uh, is it Brendan Fraser? It was not Brendan it's Fraser. It's all linking back round. This is... The Robberos of film. No, the <laughs> yesterday's Forgotten Man and today's uh, completely Forgotten Man. So Casper Van Dien was in this film. Any of you guys, uh, did you notice Casper Van Dien? I did not. Wait, I, bloody... Does he... Is His it, character's is name the, was Amok, as in like running, running Amok. As in Amok time. Was it the scene where Kirk and Spock fight to the death? Yeah, nailed it. No, I'll I'll let I'll, uh, I'll let you. I off. got he, it. He he played Thank the uh, the cyborg that came that like breaks into Christoph Waltz's house and killed his daughter. Oh, that, that was Casper Van Dien. That was Casper Van Dien, and he he only like direct, looked directly at camera like <laughs> for about three for about a second. I was like, oh my god, is that Casper Van Dien? And I thought I must be wrong. So you know, if you excited? do look at the camera even for uh, a second, that's not very good acting. <laughs> well, this might explain his is, career. <laughs> is, is this the same scene? 
where in order to get out of the very large room, he runs straight into the girl in the wheelchair and throws <laughs> her to the ground, yes, killing her is. in the process. Yes, it is. Uh, but yeah, the, the man the man who made Starship Troopers what a, such a joy, and who is oh. also in Sleepy Hollow. Blink and you'll miss it! Ooh, where? Have you seen the trailer for the Alita Experience? What no. I clicked on it, it was on Twitter, and an emotionless, almost robotic Jim Cameron explains the concept of a 12,000 square feet real-life version of Iron City. Oh, God. Kind of reminds me of the secret cinema Blade Runner experience I went to. Kind of reminds me that Jim Cameron hasn't, has only made one film in the last 20 years. <laughs> he says it's a living board game, and then goes on to say the ominous words, what? where you are one of the pieces. Oh, God. <laughs> I really want to go to there. But that, I actually really do want to go there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> After you enter, have a drink at the Hunter Warrior Hangout, the Kansas Bar, and then explore Iron City, from the marketplace to the motorball stadium. You can even dig through cyborg parts in the scrapyard. I have way more notes about James Cameron than I do about Robert Rodriguez, and he yeah. directed the bloody thing. But because James Cameron, was a, this has been his project for ages, but then he just decided he wanted to make Avatar and he didn't have the time, it feels more like It should like be called Avatar, time. shouldn't it? It's just one it big advert. Like <laughs> okay, guys, I uh, got a little surprise for you. Oh, oh I like surprises. Mock surprise. This is, uh, <laughs> I've created... A quiz. <gasps> this section is called Factoid or Bitchin. Now, uh, okay. This is the bit. It probably won't be next time. I'm going to say two statements, right? One of these will be true, and one of them. Like the appearance of truth. Right. You guys confer, decide, but I'm gonna give you two statements, and between the two of you, you guess which one's a factoid, and which one is bitchin'. Take it away. Round one. I'm Round nervous. one. Christoph Waltz's character is named Dyson, as a reference to the character of Miles Dyson from Terminator 2. That's number one. That's number one. Here's number two. Encino Man was originally titled California Man <laughs> in the UK. Another film that underwent a title change is Alita Battle Angel. James Cameron was forced to change the title to Alita Battle Angel from the manga's original title, Battle Angel Alita, because he is considered to be a T and A director, as in all his films either begin with T or A. Only so what, Encino, as in in a scene? Kind of like... Encino, the place in California. It's E-N-C-I-N-O. It's Encino, California. It's a district of California. You need to know your American geography. Okay, right. Well, I, I'm going to go with the fact that the name change is real because it feels like we've... I'm going to go with about that. California Man. Well, uh, I... And also, I imagine that it didn't change any names from the from the manga and I'm, I doubt Yokito Koshiro called him Dyson because of Terminator 2. You're all saying Hugo, and I think in the anime it's Hugo with a Y, so it's possible. But yeah, I'm going to go with the second one as well, being correct. Me and Rob were together. We think uh, the name change is the correct one and Maybe uh, the reasons... Dyson is a factoid. And you, you think that Encino Man was originally titled California Man in the UK? Correct. That is correct. Yes! Encino Man was titled in the UK as California Man. Also, that thing about James Cameron being described by his producer as a TNA director, as he only makes films beginning with T or A. No, no, wait. Didn't he make Piranhas 2? No, he wrote it, didn't direct it. Ah, okay. There we go. Sticks to the rules. Every film he's directed, T or A. I'm not taking this project on until we change the name of it. To fit with that joke that a producer made <laughs> ten years ago. So you guys are one for one for one. Excellent. Okay. Round two. Round two. Here we go. 
In the manga, the dog Alita rescues and befriends is brought back to life from his crushing death with a microphilic cybernetic frame. He becomes her loyal companion who joins her in fights, eventually earning his own hunter warrior license thanks to his augmented abilities. Three oh entire God. arcs are dedicated to this. You, you just put that in so that you could win the bingo. This is... <laughs> It's not my fault if he, uh, that's where it's going. Right, and then this, this is, right, that's, that's number one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not it. in the OVA. I've not Dog. read the air manga, though. That's the thing. You, we, you, can, you, can, you can score additional points to me by not giving these things away. I, I haven't seen the OVA. This is this Blast. Is you, guys, you guys are, you know, you joined, don't you? You joined forces on this. We joined at the hip. Yeah. Do you want to hear the second one? Yeah. Okay. In the manga, Alita plays keyboards in a band, and in one issue, sings the song Big Generator by 70s progressive rock band Yes. I think it's entirely plausible that an anime would bring the dog back to life and then make it into like a massive, like a big kick-ass killing machine. So for me, my vote is on the dog gets brought back to life with a microphilic what? Uh, microphilic cybernetic frame. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going for. See, I want the second one to be correct. It just seems too... Too perfect. Jules and I are both uh, lovers of the progressive band, yes. Yes, we are. And when was the manga made as well? No. Well, it had to have been after 1992, because that's when Encino Man came out. I'm going with the first one. I'm hoping. Wait, no. So you... Wait, you both, both agree. Yeah. yeah, both agree dog, again. Dog brought back. That's a factoid, I'm afraid. Oh, oh no! That's, well, I made that up. That's <gasps> so she joins a rock band. And... There's a screen. I, I, I found it as a screen cap from like <gasps> a wiki uh, of it, of the actual bit from the manga where she's playing keyboard. She plays it at the bar, which is named after a Kansas right. song, I think, or it might even be called Kansas. I or need something, to read yeah. this manga. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you're one for two. So yeah. This is. If you guys get this, you win. If you fail this. You will be very embarrassed. That's all I can imagine. I know I would be embarrassed I'm for you. Ashamed. I'm going to present you with two quotes from James Cameron. One of these he said, one of them I made up. Here's quote number one. I ripped off a few Outer Limits segments. I mean, he probably did. But I mean, <laughs> did he say it? Did he admit it <laughs> on tape? All right, and number two. I ripped off Encino Man. The whole thing. <laughs> it's my favourite movie. Oh, I feel like you're, you're gifting us that one. I'm going to play it seriously and say uh, Outer Limits. Unless it was just a joke on an interview he once said and somebody compared it and then you've just stolen that and built everything around it and worked back. This is devious. Like some sort of evil genius. But I can't afford... I can't afford to... Are you, are you saying your I entire can't answer to this question depends on how smart and funny you think I am? No, more of like how Machiavellian you are. Yeah, yeah, that, that I'm going to go with the first one again. Yeah, Outer Limits. Boring, but... Boring, but... Are you sure that's your answer? I mean, you, you want to take a bit more time to think? Or... Yes. Because I don't want to press you for an answer. I mean, if you guys want to... Uh, oh, God, wrap time, it up, Jules. Then <laughs> this is a big deal, this quiz. And if, if you guys feel like you're pushing to an answer oh, too I'm, soon... I'm Final soon, answer! Yeah. <laughs> he ripped off in Cinema, and the whole thing is my favourite. No, he ripped off The Outer Limits, and he said it out loud in an interview. I think I've won one step towards a more humorless me. <laughs> No, he, he never said... He Maybe you need a replacement heart. <laughs> you need a... No, he never said he ripped off Encino Man. That was just subtextual. In space, no one can hear you scream. The brother of the director of Ghost. Be afraid. Be very Whoever wins, afraid. we lose. Take your flame.
tag your flick. Okay, with this new segment, the challenge will be for us all to put on our film executive or marketing hats and come up with a tagline for the film we just watched. Oh, no, I need to get into character. <laughs> right, I feel like a gigantic arsehole. Michael, oh, over to you. Oh dear, we're going to start with me. So I would, I'd like to say that I had something uh, clever and or witty to add for this segment, but actually I have something stupid and juvenile. I can't. Uh, I was really trying to think of something other than this, but nothing else came to mind. And it is uh, based on based on the um, the scene where Hugo is replaced with his cybernetic body. My uh, tagline for this film is, "What did you do with my penis?" (laughs) I feel like that could be a tagline for many films. (laughs) Coming to a cinema near you. Some sums the film up perfectly because they've got their human mind. They still would want to engage in sexual activities. Does Alita have a robot vagina? Okay, and on that note, uh, <laughs> let's move over to the high intellect well, well, already, of Jules Bond. I've already Bond. said mine. Right. Does, does Alita have a robot vagina? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Okay, this is, I gave this a lot of thought. So here we go. Here's the tagline film. You ready? You ready? If you liked Encino Man... I, I didn't finish the sentence because I, I, I feel it says it all. And plus, who doesn't like Encino Man? I mean, really. And Robert, um, Robert what's yours? Did, well, did, did my, any of us take this seriously? Yeah, I, I think mine is... Um, Alita is the warmest place to cyborg. It's a kind of 80s action type of uh, attempt at attack line, oh, really. Oh, do, do it. Which is, uh, what they threw out came back to throw down. <laughs> Yeah, that's terrific. I love it. It's love definitely it. the best of the three that we've come up with. I, I, hang on, I think, I think it's the only one that even makes an attempt to talk about the film. <laughs> I think mine summed up the entire conceit of the film in one, uh, one, one line. But it's harder to do than you think. And uh, I yeah. just realised I don't actually know what the actual tagline of this film is. Maybe we should. Ooh. Do films always... I, I feel I'm like it's, it's, it's is something it a lost from art? the past. I feel like because, because mm. movie posters aren't such a big deal now. Like, I feel like my favorite you know, te- it's all teaser trailers and things like mm. that. So My favourite tagline, I'll, just, I'll share this, is from the... The movie Werewolf, I think that's what it's called, which is which was on a Mystery Science Theatre episode. It had the best tagline. It's uh, "Rest in Beast." Yeah. Where do we go from here? It's a segment where everyone has to put on their time machine hats and imagine. What will happen with this franchise in the future? So they didn't see like the end scene of the film. There is a bit of a problem with this one because there is actually an existing franchise with the manga and so on. Um, so. so you're saying we're hitting it out of the gate running? <laughs> this film already is a pitch for its own sequel, so uh, it feels like a completely redundant task. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I apologise. Rob, I came up with the idea before Thank we you. chose our film, but yes. <laughs> uh, here's, the, here's, the, here's the sequel title. Um, Alita, Battle Metric System. Mm. Like a liter of water. Oh, very good. Oh, uh, wow! That's, I mean, like, after that's witty. It was, it was a joke of what you'd like. That's laugh, like Mitch Hurwitz. <laughs> it's Mitch Hurwitz level witticisms. I, I... Okay, I'll run through my actual um, sequel, which is kind of a Prince and the Pauper idea, whereby Alita swaps with somebody in Cloud City or Zolom, mm. or it's called, who always wanted to play rollerball. <laughs> Sorry, motorball. Motorball. Uh, but isn't allowed to as their royalty. And uh, they swap brain chips, and Alita infiltrates the upper echelons in order to gain information about a plot to feed the lower city to, I don't know, some sort of pet rank or thing, or maybe the Jovian lizards. Um, Nova is a kind of Rasputin type character who feeds the king information. Alita manages to get into the king's good books, but he's kind of gone mad and thinks he's essentially the second coming of Zeus. She also has to marry this douche with hilarious consequences. And meanwhile, the princess comes back, and they tag team attack Nova with renewed street smart courage 
and the power of friendship. Did they did they find out that the real elite all along was love? I will allow this film to be made as long as Hugo's name is never mentioned. <laughs> your notes, Rob. This is your production notes. <laughs> Thanks. No. Uh, Nova is the one controlling Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali's like, character. What, what is the character? I, I know. You, you, you pick up on the fact that I've nerfed him in this by yeah, making made kind the of... Guy, so in other words, his character he's not in the first even the... film, he's the third level one. Yeah, yeah, I know. His boss, who's puppeteering <laughs> but, him, but is in being a way, puppeted by the king. But in a way, the king hasn't really got as it's kind of a Rasputin kind of yeah, relationship. He's, he's, oh, he's like the controlling the power, power is he? he has, he's oh, okay. technically he, got the he power. He doesn't have legitimate power. That's the one, he, yeah. You won me over with that note. That's yeah. that's really interesting. He's, he's pulling like a Grima worm tongue. Okay, here we go. Sequel pitch for the sequel to Alita Battle Angel called Alita Battle Angel 2, Alita Bit More Battle Angel. <laughs> okay, so picture this, picture this. Exterior, futuristic cityscape, establishing. Nice. The lights from soaring skyscrapers. Factories belch filth into the night sky. In the distance, we hear the sound of rollerball. The clang, bang, <laughs> fans roar. It's getting louder and louder. And then we're there. Alita, battle angel. She's playing rollerball. She's really good at it. But there's a whistle. It blows. She's off the pitch or whatever that thing's called that they all roll around. I have no idea. <laughs> She's having a breather. She's changing tyres or whatever the hell they do when they have a break. She wants to get out and play more. But her coach, paid by Woody Harrelson, he, he won't have it. She needs to cut back. She's pushing too hard. She looks to the sky at the high class elite city, whatever it's called. Woody, he sees her look. He knows what it's about, where her priorities lie. But it's this unspoken thing between them. And us in the audience, we get the subtext because we saw the first film. Woody, because Christopher Waltz has a Tarantino film to make, he couldn't be in this one. So Woody, as her new father figure, he tries to get her mind off it. He tells her to go grab a power ambulator from the scrapyard. She's not sure. She wants to go back out there. But he tells her how he'll give her first dibs on the power ambulator and it'll make her unstoppable. Off her, we cut to the scrapyard. She finds the power ambulator. It's pretty cool. Lights and shit. But then she spies something and she's about to leave. What is that? In the dirt. Something under the rubble. She wipes away the screws and nails, and that's when she sees it. Brendan Fraser, <laughs> nice and nice. I'm, oh I'm, I'm not quite sure where to go from there. I'm, I'm thinking maybe he teaches her to be cool, and it could segue into the sequence where they play Big Generator by Yes. <laughs> but there's, uh, there's, there's legs. There's legs. Uh, moving swiftly on. <laughs> <laughs> so we are now, I think, at the point to stop talking about Elisa Battle Angel and indeed Encino Man, hopefully. <laughs> Um, Can't make any so, uh, Rob, what final final thoughts on Least Battle Angel? Did did you like this film? Yes, it was entertaining. Um, I'd say similar to the Ghost in the Shell remake, it's unessential. Um, doesn't really provide anything new, I'd say, apart from the, the the leap in technology, I'd say. And it does sound like from um, Chat Movie Mike that the 3D <laughs> version is worth a watch, Tip worth top. a second watch. Um, so the drama stuff uh, left me a little bit cold, and the the fights were amazing. Some of the characters were hilarious. Um, so I'd recommend it. I, I wouldn't say, you know, I'd own a copy, but I'd definitely pay to go see it at the cinema. Seconded. Well, it's no Encino, man. Oh, what's that? It sounds like it's time for the new and final section. It's time to consult the book. You must not read from the book! We are going to talk about uh, three films, and we're going to pick those films based on the linking them to a, a single word. A single word which we shall pluck from a book. 
The book in question at the moment is going to be the Necronomicon. The real one, not the uh, not the tales of H.P. Lovecraft. The uh, the actual the actual Necronomicon. Necronomicon. Yes, it, the cover um, is made out of uh, human flesh. Oh, so yeah. we have. I should uh, probably put my trousers back on then. I think it's a first edition. So you were brave enough to open the uh, the unholy pages of the Necronomicon. Uh, tell me, what did you see inside? Oh God. Uh, well, open the first page, and then I was condemned to a lifetime of insanity. It happens. But then I got better. This is this is going to shock you guys. It's going to absolutely shock you. I ran through the pages of an H.P. Lovecraft story, and the random keyword I, I my finger landed on was nightmarishness. Yeah, nightmarishness. Yeah. So, something possessing the qualities of nightmarish. <laughs> no, <Nope>, nightmares. Nightmarishness. <laughs> miss, miss nightmares. Miss nightmarishness. Uh, Rob, why don't you start oh off? What did nightmarishness <clears throat> bring to your mind? Well, quite a few films. And the obvious ones like The Nightmare on Elm Streets and so on, and uh, films with actual nightmares in them. And I was thinking, oh, should I go for something really obscure? And I suppose it's a little bit obscure, um, but it's a happy discovery from the last year or two. It's Altered States by Ken Russell oh, from yeah. 1980. Master- yeah. Masterpiece. The plot is a psychopathologist theorises that the other states of consciousness are actually other realities. His experiments lead him to finally de-differentiate his goddamn genetic structure. And the rest is spoilers. Um, <laughs> oh god, it's a good film. That is a good film. The film contains yeah. the kind of nonsensical, surreal things that happen in nightmares. Um, so these aren't strictly nightmares, for the, but the effects of a special Mexican tincture taken during sensory deprivation. And uh, he gets the idea from um, an ayahuasca ceremony. And um, he's working on um, schizophrenia. It's one of those things that kind of must be seen to be believed, obviously visual medium. Um, but if I may attempt to recreate the images for our listeners, I will briefly recount the shots of one of these hallucinatory montages. Our protagonist Edward has his arm outstretched holding the Bible, dark clouds whipped by behind him. An old man lays down on a hospital bed. Edward drops the Bible in slow motion. This becomes the Turin shroud which lands on the old man's face. He tears it off and throws it onto the floor where it bursts into flames. The old man on the bed cries out in pain with a burning crucifix floating above him. Cut to an extreme close-up of seven eyeballs intercut with the burning crucifix which is ever increasing in size as we zoom out to reveal that the owner of the seven eyeballs is a man on a crucifix with a goat head with multiple horns it is flying away from us as we pan down to a desert. Clouds flying by at the speed of unreality. These three archways adorned with ancient inscriptions together with a line of three gallows poles form the background to a heavily ornate book which sits upon a rock in the foreground. Zoom in! The book has both Christ and devil iconography. A hand goes to open it, halts in terror, as we see a terrifying seven-eyed goat puppet stare down into the camera in our very souls. It turns to the book. Close up of a scimitar being raised. The goat looks around in shock as blood gushes and spills onto the unholy text. The sword is covered in blood, the goat's slit head collapses, a hand darts for the book and opens it. A red orb suspended in the darkness explodes like a viscous big bang and streaks of pink laser strobe on the screen as Edward rapes a woman under the free archways which is intercut with a silhouetted goat head careening towards us from within the sun itself. And we're back in the flotation tank. And if that's not nightmarish, I don't know what is. You say that nice. like, <clears throat> you say that like, like not everyone's been to a fish concert. <laughs> Uh, very good, yeah, very good. I liked the first half of Altered States and thought the rest was just pap. Fair enough. Nightmarishness. Again, I, I went through a lot of the same uh, thought processes as Rob, thinking, um, you know, there's there's a lot of obvious ways to take to take it, and I, I kind of have gone with one. I, I the reason I the reason I've picked the film I, I have gone with is because um, I wanted to go back to a point where a film could actually be nightmarish for me. You know, when, you, when you're watching a film and you don't know anything about like, the pacing of films, you don't, know, mm. you don't really know the language of cinema very well, and so, mm. um, so scenes can seem to go on like really for a long time, and mm. you don't really know where the film's going and, and, and why it's pulled you suddenly into this, into this state, which is quite distressing. 
Uh, and the, the film that I've chosen then is, uh, is um, Tim Burton's directorial debut, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, oh. um, which has a, a nightmare scene in it, a classic nightmare scene, um, which when you watch it back as an adult, obviously is, is, is in turns like funny. It's much more like, say, the nightmare scene in The Burbs or something like that. Sure. Uh, but when I was younger, this it always used to scare the crap out of me, this scene. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the film where Pee-wee's bicycle is stolen by his next door neighbour. Mm. And so he has a nightmare where there are these, um, there are like a bunch of clowns, like, you know, classic nightmare fuel, clowns with uh, like awfully um, like made up faces um, who are bringing his bicycle along on like the gurney and then the doctor is there and the doctor looks like he might be quite a sane character. He's got his hand in front of his mouth and then he right. pulls his hand away and actually he's got this ridiculous like, uh, sort of grins, sort of painted onto his face, and he's Ooh. he's in with all of the rest. And eventually, Pee Wee's bike is lowered into you know into the into the cauldron and is going to be destroyed. Um, and it's a, it's a funny scene, but when I was a kid, it, that did give me nightmares, and so I wanted mm. to go with something that evoked that in me. I thought there are many things that you can think to describe as nightmarish. There's you know your Cthulian dark beasts that mm. are, I say, condemning you to a lifetime of insanity. If you even conceive of them, they're sheer horrors. Bob Geldof. There are a lot of places to go with this. But I'll tell you what I thought was... Uh, what occurred to me is one of the most nightmarish things I could possibly consider and I decided to watch as a film. And that's finding Brendan Fraser frozen in ice in my backyard. I knew it! I knew Ugh. it! Is that not, though, a nightmarish existence? That we... That we this was a stretch. We... This was a stretch. <laughs> I mean, I thought there might have been at least a scene in this film which you could have well, the, uh, alluded um, to being nightmarish. It's a 90s teen comedy starring Paulie Shaw. Oh, now that is a nightmare. Great. Well, thanks, gentlemen. Those were all inspired choices. There's only one thing to do, which is to consult the book for next time and choose our word, which we will all uh, have to go away and imaginatively find a way to make it about Encino Man. Um, <laughs> it. Jules, please, please. I shall consult the book. You must not read from the book! Open the Necronomicon. Tell us. What I'll do is I'll, I'll flip through it, and then Rob, you tell me when to stop. And then I'll read a finger on my hand on the way to stop that. Okay, so. Stop. Okay. Stop. Ooh, a nice vague one. New. 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 Mm. Very vague. New with a K or with an N? With an N. Well, they both have N's, I guess. Without <laughs> No K. Well, okay. you'll be hearing our, our answers uh, in the next new episode of Once Upon a Time in Some Guy's Parents' House. Well done, Rob. I can't sign off better than that. Thanks for listening. Bloody bread and phrase. <laughs> Encino Man. He's a million years old. Milk does the body good, huh? Uh. Great hair. And living proof that evolution is not an exact science. Four days on the wheel. Get down the fresh nugs.